Hey, Sound Opinions listeners, if you support us on Patreon, you get to listen to our podcast ad-free on Patreon. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking with Namdi and paying tribute to Lowe's Mimi Parker. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, we review some new music from Always and Micaiah McRaven. That is Pharmacist from the new Always album, Blue Rev. That's always A-L-V-V-A-Y-S, a little spelling challenge. It's, challenge, it's, it's not yeah, always. Everybody wants always, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's always. That's the way they pronounce it. And uh, it's a third studio album by this Canadian indie pop band. They have a new rhythm section on this record. Uh, the lead singer and guitarist and keyboard player are intact, Molly Rankin the vocalist in the band. She comes from a famous musical family, the Rankin family. Her dad was a, uh, a noted fiddle player with the Celtic Folk family collective, the Rankin family. And uh, Molly also played a little fiddle along the way, uh, but she decided she wanted to write songs and branch out on her own eventually. She grew up in uh, Nova Scotia writing music with her neighbor, the keyboardist, uh, Carrie McClellan, and uh, later met Alec O'Hanley, the guitar player. They self-financed their first record. It took them a year to find a label mm. to put it out, a self-titled record that eventually uh, emerged in 2015. Uh, and they had a huge breakthrough hit, Archie Marry Me is the name <laughs> of the song. Anti-Socialites followed in 2017, and now we have their third album. Drummer and bassist are new on this record, Sheridan Riley and Abby Blackwell. And producer Sean Everett, uh, who's done some big records for Casey Musgraves, War on Drugs, Killers, and uh, now he's working with Always. The album is called Blue Rev from Always, and the track is called Pomeranian Spinster on Sound Effect. That is Pomeranian Spinster by Always, A-L-B-B-A-Y-S. Greg, I'm, I'm loving this album. Uh, not being Canadian, I did not know that Blue Rev apparently is a, uh, 
sugary, high-octane yeah. drink uh, that club kids uh, sneak out behind uh, the dance hall to consume. Uh, I guess it's a, got a, quite a buzz with it. Uh, and so does this album. <laughs> you know, we've talked a lot in recent years about the influence of shoegaze uh, coming out in the wash, that early mm-hmm. 90s movement, much bigger in the UK. Bands like Ride and My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive. You know, as um, Eno has been attributed to saying, although apparently he never said it, they didn't sell a lot of records in their time, the Velvet Underground, but uh, everyone who bought one went and started a band. I often feel that way about shoegaze, because we have that delightful, psychedelic, fuzzed out, echoed out buzz happening with the guitars, but we have really strong and driving rhythms, uh, almost motorique, mm. dare I say, like Stereolab, who got it from the German bands of the early 70s, uh, Neu in particular, and, uh, and, and melody, just gorgeous pop melodies. You know, what is this album about? I think the key is, uh, I waited so long for you, wasted some of the best years of my life. Mm. Uh, they sing at one point. And at another, how can I gauge whether this is stasis or change? Those are two things uh, that could apply to relationships, but also to the pandemic lockdown, because uh, it's been a long time between always albums. Uh, I think uh, they took that time, in addition to shaking up the lineup, to uh, recommit and look at what they do well, because in a lot of ways, while they're, they've been great from day one, uh, you know, this is, this is their strongest album. They're mm-hmm. most focused, they're most melodic, they're most driving and their most uh, wonderfully swirly psychedelic. I, I love this record. Yeah, I, uh, I do too. I think if there was a criticism of this band at their weakest, you know, they tended to err on the side of twee. You know, they were a little yeah. light and a little, a little frothy. That dream pop, jingle jangle stuff sometimes got a little soft. Here it's pretty hard-edged. Those bands always have a danger of like floating off into right. the ether. But this one doesn't have that problem at all. I mean, you know right away from Pharmacist that first track, it just comes yeah. roaring in. And the record has that roar. The guitar is really uh, more aggressive on this album than any of their previous two records. Um, you know, the combustive quality is, is really exciting. Just as a sonic experience, it's a step uh, ahead of anything they've done so far. You know, you're right, uh, you know, the, the singer, uh, Molly Rankin, she's uh, sort of a woman between stations singing about mm-hmm. her. Her, her life, her complex feelings about, uh, you know, a relationship that's come and gone. You know, uh, you love somebody and now you don't. What's next? You know, uh, that, that sort of, everybody knows that feeling. And I think she's captured it very well. Her lyrics are terrific. I think she's a really smart songwriter in terms mm-hmm. of just the way she's able to hone in on that, t- those telling details. And that song, Pharmacist, you know, she sees the sister of her ex at the drugstore and she, and, and the uh, sister reveals that he's got that new love glow yeah yeah and you know molly rankin just doesn't want to hear about that right now you no, know thank but you, you know Who that does? feeling yeah. you've been there right that song belinda says you know belinda carlisle of the go-go's you know yeah. heaven is a place on earth she quotes she goes well so is hell yes
and then there are, are, are lines that are not just tossed off. That, uh, that you know, it, it can be so hard to figure out if you're stuck in one place or if everything is changing, uh, stasis or change. I think that's really the theme here. And I'll tell you what, I'd appreciate a Canadian listener sending us some Blue Rev, because oh, yeah. wh- whatever fueled <laughs> this album, uh, if that was the drink of choice, uh, they, they scored. called Dream Another from the new Micaiah McRaven record In These Times, a prolific drummer, band leader, composer, producer. We've talked about Micaiah in past shows. He's part of this new breed of jazz musicians. And I'm not sure jazz even does it justice because yeah. it's way beyond uh, you know, a, a genre, I think. Uh, born in Paris, dad's a drummer, mom's a singer, musical family, moved to Massachusetts, got a music degree at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, moved to Chicago in 2007, has been working with a series of collaborators ever since. Debut album came out in 2012 and has been incredibly prolific ever since. Two of my favorites, everybody's looking at the catalog that McRaven's got out. I highly recommend uh, We're New Again, a reimagining by Micaiah McRaven of uh, Gil Scott Heron's uh, recordings, mm. you know, um, just an amazing record. Uh, Micaiah calls himself a beat scientist. You know, in the tradition of Tio Macero, the uh, producer for Miles Davis, uh, taking live performance and then editing them down post-performance into uh, these, these compositions that you're hearing now. Uh, this is the latest example of this, the, perhaps the most elaborate of the uh, those kind of recordings yet from Micaiah McRaven. The record is called In These Times, and here's a track from it called This Place, That Place on Sound Opinions. That was a little taste of This Place, That Place from the new album by Micaiah McRaven in these times. Uh, The title, Greg, comes from a little bit of spoken word by Harry Belafonte at the height of the civil rights era, uh, recontextualized, given to us out of context at the start of the album, uh, and uh, as vital as if it was being spoken today Mm -hmm. in this time of racial strife. Um, You know... Rare is the occasion when I feel this way, but I will I will confess it. On occasion, I look forward to your thoughts on a record because I can't get my head around it. <laughs> and, you know, you edumacate me. Um, hopefully I occasionally do the same for you. Micaiah McRaven's undoubtedly a fantastic drummer. I say that as a drummer. Greg, a fan of great drumming. Uh, this man has more talent in his pinky finger than I have <laughs> in 40 years of playing the drums. Let's be clear. But this is a rather laid-back album, almost sleepy, and this is where you get to call me a heathen, because uh, he has a reputation, this beat 
scientist. Well, A is a great drummer, but he's not really propelling things forward here as much as I've heard him do uh, on other recordings and when I've seen him live. Um, And the melodies, which people often rave about, him intertwining these melodies. You know, Greg... At times, this veers into that soft jazz, Kenny G, uh, Najee territory that we both get hives from. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you know, it is different. I, I'm excited about his recordings when they do have that sort of more explosive quality to them. And he's done those kind of things. He, yeah. I mean, he's playing with some great uh, musicians. I mean, he is, uh, on this record alone... Uh, you know, Jeff Parker, uh, yeah. you know, just of one of the great and... multi-purpose guitarists uh, in, in this world. Uh, Junius Paul on bass, uh, Macy Stewart, who is a fixture in the Chicago music scene, uh, Brandy Younger on harp, you know, yeah. some, you know, the instrumentation, you've got harps, you've got flutes on this record. It instantaneously takes you to that place where it's going to be a little bit more uh, dreamy, atmospheric, as mm-hmm. opposed to driving. Uh, but when I, you know, when you talk about the rhythm stuff, it's kind of subtle. But I hear a lot of Jay Dilla, uh, a, a person that we have talked about, the great yeah. producer Jay Dilla, who we talked about earlier this year, with that uh, unique elastic concept of time. Yes, exactly. And I think the way that Micaiah is, you know, the post, you know, post production work that he's doing on these live uh, recordings of this band in real time. And then what he's doing in the editing process is kind of recontextualizing, reconfiguring, slowing down, speeding up, changing the, yeah. the pace of a lot of those songs in these yeah. times, talking about um, the rhythm. I mean, it's not yeah. just in these times that we're living in, it's in these times that I'm playing with here, the time signatures right, right. It's a in, in these songs. But, you know, I mean, it always struck me that Micaiah McRaven was like Elvin Jones if Elvin had come up with hip-hop, right? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, and, he's and I'm, playing I'm missing, with the loops and I'm things like that. I'm missing that drive, though. It's not here. It's the, it, right. it's there on different albums, but the hooks, Dream Another, This Place, That Place, So Ibuji, those are beautiful, hooky melodies. I, I, I was My reaction to it was similar to yours initially. I thought mm. it was a little too laid back. But then I really started paying attention to the songs, and he's created some undeniably uh, beautiful songs here. So that's what we thought of the new music from Always and Micaiah McRaven, and now we want to hear from you, our listeners. Let us know in our Facebook group or in our Patreon community, or leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, so we can play it on the show. Coming up, our conversation with Namdi on Sound Opinions. be famous i just want a million blue faces i just want a million new fans of plays then i want to ride that massive wave blowing all the money on diamonds mansions paddocks and private planes showing off flying the islands buying them run the red carpet and rise to fame I don't really wanna welcome back to sound opinions i'm jim DeRogatis, and he is greg cott that's a little bit of i don't want to be famous by our guest this week namdi that's N-N-A-M-D-I for our listeners looking to find him on the net. 
And this is one prolific artist. There are five albums and three EPs and so many singles and remixes and features. Greg, Namdi is tireless. <laughs> I know. What else does this guy do? I mean, does he sleep? I don't, I don't think know. so. I don't know. He's making music all the time. Extremely prolific. Uh, no two projects sound the same. I first became a fan with his uh, 2020 album, Brat, which I played as a buried treasure in an episode 752, if you're interested. He plays basically any instrument uh, he needs in his music. Yeah. Fascinating, uh, almost uh, self-taught in many ways, musician, um, as well as a singer and a rapper, and anything you need, he'll give. You know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those, if I've got an idea in my head musically, I will execute it myself. I don't have to call in a bunch of musicians to do this for me. Um, he's gone out on tour already, opening for bands like Wilco and Slater Kinney. And the one unifying thing about his music is that there's sort of a madcap energy there. When he throws himself into a, a little like a little genre exercise, he'll re- release a series of EPs focusing on punk or you know industrial music yeah. or something gospely, soulful. Uh, he'll go all in on it. It's not just a, you know kind of a guy mixing and matching. Uh, he is committed. He knows this stuff, and uh, he's able to play it very well, putting himself into the project, putting his own personality out front. His latest album is poised to be his biggest yet. It's called Please Have a Seat. I think it's one of the best of the year so far. I started our conversation by asking him what motivates uh, him to make music. I just love being creative in any aspect. I love making things i love getting lost in a project um i love just like going into my brain and to the depths of the corners and kind of just pulling out whatever's in there i don't know there's like a i feel like everyone has a lot of things to say and a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that uh, maybe don't get processed um and i feel like making art in any form is a way for me to kind of process my thoughts in like a deeper way now, you are the uh, son of Nigerian immigrants, right? Correct. Um, what did you get from the Nigerian heritage, I guess, is what I'm curious about. Just things like, you know, in middle school, people can be very rude. That's like the age where everyone's learning and kind of like trying things out. Uh, so just like, you know, like bringing Nigerian food to school and like people mm-hmm. saying it and like smelling it and being like, oh, that's weird, stuff like that. And <laughs> I don't know, I grew up in church like pretty religious household. So yeah, it was interesting learning how American children interact with their family. It's very, very different. Um, I think in Nigerian culture, respect is much more of like a thing that's demanded, you know, it's in different ways, in different ways. But yeah, it was interesting to learn that aspect of what other kids my age were were going through. And well, it seemed like both your parents were pretty musical, um, so they got the music thing, right? The fact that their son is super into nah. this stuff is pretty cool. With them. <laughs> no. No. no, no, they wanted you to have a real job. <laughs> so, my, actually, I take that. I don't want to say no, no, because my parents were always super supportive. It just wasn't the priority. They're like, you can do anything that you want to do, but your priority is getting educated being smart and making money so obviously for a lot of people music and art doesn't do that so they were like okay you you have to do all these other things because this is not this is not really a job (laughs) sounds like a practical parent thing yeah it's practical i think like sometimes i was bitter about it thinking about it but 
in actuality, they really just wanted me to be set and not struggle. So, you know, I appreciate them for that. I think the only thing Namdi that has a parent more skeptical than being a musician uh, is having a child who wants to write about music. Yeah. <laughs> you mean you're not and, even going to Or have it? a radio show about it. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Podcast. That's funny. Um, tell me about Namdi's Pancake House. Namdi's Pancake House was what I called my uh, parents' house in the suburbs where I grew up. Um, so basically my parents moved to California because of work and me and my brother and my sister for a little while, like we stayed in Lansing where I grew up at the house. So we kind of had it to ourselves and we started having shows. Well, I started having shows because I had just like after high school, I had gone on my first tour and realized that it was possible that people were making their own space to play. Like you didn't have to go to a venue, you didn't have to go to a bar um, a lot of people I knew weren't tw like 21 yet, so you couldn't even go to a lot of the bars. So, yeah, we started having shows in our house, like touring bands would come, and it was cool. My brother would make pancakes <laughs> for everybody, so that's why <laughs> I called it Nomdi's Pancake House. It should have been his name, but like I I was like, I'm the one that like started having the shows. <laughs> so you were a promoter. Yeah. You were, you were a rock promoter. Uh, I'm sure that went over like gangbusters with the neighbors too, huh? Actually, my both my neighbors never complained. We had one person to our left, Mr. Slauson. He was an older gentleman, probably his like early eighties, very sweet. And my other neighbors were like super into wrestling, just like so they were <laughs> they were screaming at their TV all day. They didn't huh. they didn't have time to bother us. <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, a, a promoter, uh, booking agent, uh, getting yourself out there on tour. Mm -hmm label head uh, at different points. It seems as if you uh, have never been one of those musicians saying, I'm going to wait until somebody, you know, hits me on the head with the magic wand and makes me a star. You're going to make it happen for yourself. Yeah, you can't you can't wait for anyone. If it's if you have like a passion and want to make something, you just have to figure out to do it with whatever resources you have. Um, and if you have bigger dreams, uh, yeah, work towards them. Do accomplish smaller things first and just work towards it. Yeah, you can't wait. But now, Please Have a Seat um, represents your debut for one of America's, uh, one of the world's best respected indies, uh, Secretly Canadian. Yeah, uh, it's very exciting. I love, I love Secretly Canadian. They put out a lot of dope artists that I really enjoy, so it's cool to kind of join that roster. Writer, producer, multi-instrumentalist, uh, 14 songs on the new album, yeah. and they're basically entirely all crafted by you. Yes. Everything's written and recorded by me. Uh, I think one dr one song, my friend helped me record drums, and hmm. some background vocals were recorded at another studio. But everything else is all me, baby! Woo! Wow. Well, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, so self-taught on all these instruments? No, not self-taught on... Uh, I, I was in band in school. Like, I started in fifth grade and went played in middle school and high school and I took private lessons on uh percussion so I was playing like symphonic percussion and in marching band and like xylophone and stuff like that but yeah I mean it, it, it's still pretty remarkable um basically all the records are like that right you've done you do everything on all your records right yeah pretty much yeah did you were you making them in that bedroom right there that we're talking to you from or? Uh, yeah some <laughs> of the the electronic stuff some of the like Synth stuff was recorded right here, but I, uh, there's a studio in my basement um, 
my my housemate Steve Merrick, who I perform in a band called Monobody with, um, yeah, he built out an amazing studio, and we are just making music down there all the time. Yeah, uh, and and you know the music all the time. Um, you you seem to be completely uninterested in genre classification. It's just like I'm going to do whatever pops into my head. I talk to a lot of artists, and they say to you know, limitations are good. You know, I like to work within, like to have a limitation, like, okay, the record's going to be this kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm going to make a record using those limits. And for you, it seems like, well, there's no limits at all. I, I don't have any limits about, if I want to make an ambient synth electronic song one minute and a heavy metal arena rock song the next, I'm, I'm okay with all of that. Put it on the same record it seemed like you don't don't really think about those kind of things at all i think genre is kind of a kind of sometimes a crippling tool just the word um people think of it as just like these certain pockets like you can only fit this square into the square shape and it's just music is just not like that it's, there's a lot more fluid fluidity in the creative process and I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a goal or a sound that you want to have. I've made records where I'm like, okay, I put out an EP called Black Flight, where I was like, this is going to be a punk EP. It's good to have a goal and a sound that you want, but using them as restraints is, it's just, it's just silly to me, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. I think the most important part is building a story and having it flow. And I think you can do that without forcing yourself to do one thing. The record is goes a lot of places, but it is it still flows. It still feels like a cohesive project, you know. So it's possible mm -hmm. to do that if you just, I don't know, put a little bit of thought into like how you're structuring your songs, you know. Well, that opens the opportunity, Namdi, to ask about how you write. Because uh, the songs are so well recorded and the instruments are layered and uh, we get sucked into this Namdi world of production mm. uh, and lushness at times. So how did the songs originate? Everything pretty much begins with uh, the melodic lines first. So whether that mm. starts on a piano or guitar or like a voice memo, vocal melody, uh, it's very much melodic. And then I think after that, for me, comes uh, rhythmic. They're very closely tied, the melodic and rhythmic aspects. But I lean towards melodic most of the time. Um, and then lyrics and all and percussion come later, like are usually the last things, which is kind of wild because I'm a drummer. It seemed like that would be the the first thing I mm, do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of let them the melody lead where the the lyrical and like the emotional content goes in the song so it's got to have a strong melody yeah. and then that melody is going to dictate everything else about the song absolutely that's mm. basically <laughs> there's moments where i'm 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 thinking like frank zappa yeah you know with you like when i listen to a zappa record there's clearly a mind you know putting this together and but it just seems like 
where's the, it, it's so crazy and then it all of a sudden okay i got that yeah and you put out an ep in 2020 that crazy carl ep mm. well you know carl stalling yes and then then it sort of made sense <laughs> to me like oh okay that's an influence too okay the so, great warner brothers cartoon soundtrack yeah. composer yeah yeah <laughs> Anyway, I, I may be completely half-cocked here, but I'm just curious about your thoughts on, on that particular aspect of, of, of what you do. <laughs> um, I, love, I love cartoons and I love animations because it's, like uh, we are talking about limitations before, like there's truly no limits on what you can create. Like um, when you compare it to like live action uh, cinema, um, and the compositions kind of mimic that. I think, I think a lot of my music is written with the visual aspects in mind. Um, and I learned from my, from my band director, he would always talk about movies and he would also always say like, what was making you feel sad at this part? Why were you sad? And we would have to think about it and talk, talk about it. And 90% of the time, the music in the visuals is leading you to feel a certain way. Although mm. the dialogue might be very obviously pushing you in that direction, the music, like even by itself can lift you in that direction with no lyrical content, with no words. Um, and I think cartoons do that. That's their whole thing is like, Oh, a piano falls down the stairs. So we have to do like a, <laughs> a quick run. <laughs> right, right, right. And I got really obsessed with Carl Stalling I downloaded this huge folder of like all his rehearsals for like a, a certain amount of years. So it had, it was just like the same runs over and over. It's kind of insane because they, there would be 40 runs of the same thing. And mm -hmm. the, the differences would be so subtle, but he'd be like, again, and they, the orchestra would just be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> he'd be like, again, yeah. <laughs> and then he'd be like, oh, that's the one. And I was just like, they all sound the same to me. And just really listening to those and like nitpicking them was very intriguing to me. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, the magic of those uh, records, uh, Raymond Scott and Carl Stalling mm -hmm. doing the, the Warner Brothers uh, soundtracks is, you look at a, a two and a half minute, three minute Warner Brothers cartoon, and you know, something different is happening every 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. And so we go from, you know, the Barber of Seville <laughs> to, you know, uh, Chaos in the Powerhouse. To, you know, something that could have come off a Coltrane album, mm -hmm. and then suddenly it's ragtime, which is kind of a good way of talking about your music. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's, there's so much range, and I think that's a, this is a reason why kids are like endlessly creative and like when you get older you feel like you have to rein it in like for some reason we allow kids to experience this madness and it's okay it's just normal you know and then you get older and it's like no we need to like everything needs to be in order <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's strange when we come back we'll have more namdi and we'll pay tribute to mimi parker of low that's in a minute on sound opinions
we're back. We're talking with Namdi about his genre-hopping music and his new album, Please Have a Seat. Well, when I was asking about the Nigerian influence earlier, too, I was thinking about, although the sound is, is very different, um, you know, your genre-hopping uh, constructions in the studio, in the way that the great Afro-pop bands, uh, you know, there, there can be 15 or 20 people on stage, and yet they're all somehow interweaving, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot more trance-like, a lot more uh, intertwined. But I, I never get the sense uh, uh, that 10 different people made this song and that there's 14 completely different songs on the album. It somehow all holds together in that orchestrated way. Is that a goal? Yeah, the goal is to have it feel like one unit, one body working together. Yeah. Like, if it felt like disjointed... Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, people would not be as open to it. It would not impact in the same way. So, yeah, definitely that's part of the goal. Another goal is the story, the telling telling mm-hmm. a story. What story did you set out to tell? Because it struck me, especially reading a couple of interviews you did around Brat in 2020, that there was partly heartbreak, that uh, you were ready to go out on the road with that one. And, of course, mm-hmm. the world ended, and mm-hmm. there was no road. So Greg and I have been reviewing a fantastic number of uh, really great pandemic records, uh, you know, commenting on different aspects of what we all went through. But I don't get the sense that that's the story of Please Have a Seat. What were you trying to do with this one? Yeah, this is not a pandemic record. Like, I don't want any... <laughs> I don't want the feelings of, the of like, lockdown to be... <laughs> in this record that in the rear more... view <laughs> oh yeah 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 no so i think with this record a lot of it has to do with kind of realizing the things that are within your control and with the things that are outside of your control and making a mental note and appreciating where you are at different points in your life mm. and yeah just kind of not rushing everything and uh taking time to evaluate where you are and like what brought you to the points where you are is basically what i'm trying to tell with this with this album there's you know there, there, there's humor in it we're, we're joking about i don't want to be famous um earlier mm-hmm. uh which I, I i do want to talk about that song a little bit but you know listening to the record I, there's a couple of things that jumped out at me like an ante where you say i can't take much more of this you know that line really jumped out at me Careful is watch what you say. Watch out where you step. Careful. Watch out what you say. Careful. Chip the pain on it. It's not like you're overtly preaching to us or, you know, making social or political commentary, but it's in there. It feels like there's there's piece, bits and pieces of your life and the difficulties and the struggle that are woven through this music. Um, yeah. So I guess my, what I'm getting at is it, do the lyrics come to you sort of stream of consciousness? Is it like piecing things together or is there, do you feel like there's a narrative thread in each of these songs? There, there are elements of stream of consciousness um, that tie in, that end up tying into the narrative. It, a lot of things don't start off with like a very strong narrative, but 
once everything comes together, then and I take a step back and look at a song, and I'm like, oh, if I was writing about this and I just didn't know about mm. it, you know, it's it's coming from like such a like internal brain space that I kind of was like, I'm just gonna let it flow, but in fact, it was coming from like very specific spots. Um, yeah, but everything, anything that I would say that is preachy or like telling a story or like kind of giving advice is advice that I'm giving myself. And if it works for other people, then that's great. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about, I don't want to be famous, a uh, funny song. I don't want to be ogled mm -hmm. at the way that you deliver those lines. You know, I just want to hang out with models. That. <laughs> 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 be famous i just want a million blue faces i just want a million new fans of plays then i want to ride that massive wave blowing all the money on diamonds mansions paddocks and private planes showing off flying the islands buying them run the red carpet and rise to fame i don't really want to be popular walk around the city they stop and look i don't really like to be ogled at i just want to hang with model staff Superstar like Miley Cyrus, I've been on my dope dish. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Remember back at Edge when we was eating with the roaches? Don't think I'd be flying, they ain't going back to coach. I don't really want to be famous, though. I just that cracked me up when I, when I heard that. And it's just, uh, and of course, you know, you're not famous yet, but, uh, you know, at the yeah. same time, it's um, it's almost kind of funny that you're talking about it because you may well be famous after this record comes out. So I'm curious about yeah, that song. It's obviously very tongue-in-cheek and very silly um but <laughs> there are it's very it's a very true song to me because i do want all of the things that come along with it i would like to have fun so i can help my family and friends and like be able to make art that i want to at a higher level and i want people to hear my music and take the influence and be able to do greater things with it than maybe i could do myself um also, why not? There's so many people that are famous that are just like, what did you do? It's just like, you know, so there are aspects of me that want those things. But then like the whole idea of celebrity and how we like put people on a pedestal mm -hmm. and how, I don't know, we just like are watching people so closely. It's, it's weird. And it, I don't, <laughs> it's not healthy just as a society to like give people uh, this weird power that they don't deserve. Like, their people are no different than us. Um, a lot of it has to do with luck. A lot of it has to do with timing. And there's a lot of hard work as well, so I don't want to, like, diminish that aspect. But I... Yeah, it's, it's very much me being like, okay, I want these things. I want to work hard. Being a musician, being an artist, being an entertainer, you always have to be in the public eye. So I'm acknowledging these things. But I also like my anonymity. I like to go places and not have people talk to me. It's <laughs> amazing. I do it all the time. And just like, I've been lucky enough to hang out with uh, some people that are at like a way bigger level than I am. And you're, you're hanging out, if you're hanging out with like your friend, and then you go out in public, and then you have to remember, oh, yeah, you're like super famous, because everyone swarms to them. It's weird. And I'm just like, every time that has happened i'm just like oh i'm so glad i don't that's not me like yeah, i'm yeah. so glad i can go to 7-eleven like buy donuts at 3 a.m and <laughs> not have people take pictures of yeah me. in my pajamas <laughs> so, yeah. right yeah how do you bring these complicated arrangements uh all crafted by yourself how do you bring them to the stage 
pretty much the same band I had on a tour I did with Wilco and Slater Kinney. So it's two guitars, bass, drums, and me. I'll probably play a little bit of guitar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're still figuring it out. We had our second practice yesterday, and then we have a member that lives in California that we have to fly out for the few practices before mm-hmm. we go out. But yeah, I'm very excited. It's it's sounding good already after two practices. So. It's got to be a challenge, though, going out in the rehearsal yeah. space. Everybody's looking at you saying, what do I play on this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish that I could kind of like delegate that part and not have to <laughs> explain everything. But yeah, it's it's a learning experience. Every time I go out on tour, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is kind of difficult to like explain everyone's parts and mm. to like have arrangements that aren't exactly like the record, but still kind of hold true to the the build of the songs. You know, I want to make it interesting. So yeah, and I'm sure you want to allow those musicians uh, to express themselves, the part of them that's their personality as well. Oh, absolutely. That's what makes a live performance or like any collaboration amazing is like letting other people's Mm -hmm. skills shine through. Well, it's a a very fraught atmosphere for um, artists these days, you know, post-COVID, all that stuff. The thing you always that artists come back to when I whenever I talk to them is you have to tour. Is that the reality for you that you know touring is kind of the way to pay the bills? I mean, is there you know licensing I guess to movies or you know TV shows if you get that opportunity? Yeah, touring is one of the best ways to like make income because you get to be out there in front of people, you get to show them what it's actually what you're actually doing, and you get to you sell a lot more merch like. More merch than if you put it online. I think merch sales are like a big part of touring or big part of artist income. And the main way to get those merch sales is to tour. So, mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think you important. really ought to consider uh, bringing your brother in to make pancakes for every show. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that's a great who idea. Was the Chicago come, band, come who was the Chicago duo? It was Scotty, uh, Scotty from Touch and Go. Oh, yeah. Like nasty blues, Giampano. Yeah, Scotty yeah. Giampano. They would they would fry bacon on stage, <laughs> and it would permeate. <laughs> you know, like the empty bottle or the Who hideout. Like bacon? Right, everybody. And it just was such a <laughs> wonderful smell. So the the bacon pancake thing, man. I think you'd rule the world. Oh my god, that's amazing. I was literally just talking yesterday about how smell is like one of the most important senses, or like the biggest sense tied to uh, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So I was talking about how i need a smell at my show yeah. so it makes it more memorable and i think yeah we pancakes would be a good smell. you know proust, proust uh, remembrances of things <laughs> past it all starts with the smell of a madeline oh and 1800 pages mm-hmm. later you're done with his novel pancakes bacon a little maple syrup i i think that <laughs> that's that would that's just be secret. wonderful what an experience that would <laughs> just be. the whole bacon breakfast <laughs> at every show <laughs> yeah yeah well we have been talking to namdi a prolific artist who has a great new record please have a seat available now and uh thank you so much namdi for being on the show thank y'all this is incredible i appreciate you good all. luck with your tour thank you no it's just another day that wraps up our conversation with Namdi, and now we want to hear from you. 
What artists have drawn inspiration from childhood creativity most successfully? Leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org, or start a conversation in our Patreon community or on our Facebook group. Now, Mr. Cott, we have some sad news to deal with. Lowe's Mimi Parker has died at the age of only 55. Yes, Jim, uh, sad news indeed. Mimi Parker, uh, dead at the age of 55, uh, died November 5th of ovarian cancer. I got word of this while I was traveling, and I got to tell you, it hit me so hard. I go, man, why am I so emotional about this? You know, Deb, my wife, noticed it too, and I was just... One of those things where you, you, you feel like you know a person. Somebody had said to me, uh, it was like losing a member, a family member. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like you, you feel close to a person, even though you may not necessarily know them that well, but you know them through their music. And, and it felt that intimate uh, that you, you felt that loss in a, in a different way than you would with a normal celebrity type of death. Well, and we had had the pleasure of talking with Mimi and Alan Sparhawk, her husband, uh, several times on Sound Opinions, going back to our, our commercial radio days. Right. This band has been around, uh, you know, since the uh, mid-'90s. Uh, you know, Mimi is a mom, a wife, and a, a quiet uh, powerhouse of musical creativity. They formed in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, of all places, in 1993. Uh, it was Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker, uh, who had been, you know, a, a couple for a number of years already. Uh, you know, the the famed producer Kramer mm. dubbed them slowcore. You know, they were, you know, at a time of grunge, you know, uh, overkill. Here was the band that was the exact opposite of that, playing as quietly as possible. When audiences would get restless and get louder, they would play quieter. You yeah, know, it was almost yeah. like a, a provocation in reverse. Continuing a tradition that began with Galaxy 500, which began with the Velvet Underground's third album. And the thing is, that could have been a one-trick pony kind of deal, a couple albums, and then they, then they quit. But they kept expanding their sound. They found more ways to express themselves within the template that they had originally created. It was basically Mimi and Alan, mm. and uh, a, you know, a rotating cast of bassists. Um, but it was it was a, a sound that was minimal, minimalist music uh, at its finest, really melodic, um, uh, beautiful sounding. But at the same time, starting to incorporate elements of noise yeah. uh, and a more more expansive approach to uh, the arrangements. And, and they were beloved. I mean, they, their music, you know, that li- that little Christmas EP they put out. Uh, we just did an interview with uh, one of the founders of Cranky Records, and yeah. they started putting out records with Cranky, a Chicago-based label. That little Christmas EP they did, it exploded. It, yeah. uh, you know, they you know, got picked up by, you know, uh, in a TV commercial, and suddenly people were knowing, finding out about this little band from Duluth, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Plant was a huge fan. Yeah, you know, he covered he their songs. Covered them the other night in in tribute to Mimi. He uh, covered the the Great Destroyer's Silver Rider. Uh, Mimi, you as a drummer, I know appreciated her. She was standing up yep. Mo Tucker style of the yep. Velvet Underground. Really minimal kit. Now let me let me see if I got this right, Jim. From what I could tell, a snare drum, a, a single cymbal, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. and a floor tom. 
and if yeah, she or, really or a bass drum turned on its side, yeah. right? And if she really went crazy, she had a tambourine. I mean, she was <laughs> selling out, man. You can't have all that stuff on. But stage. the vocals as well, Greg. The vo- what a beautiful singer, right? Yeah. What a voice. Um, you know, the thing about Mimi is that every time she came in, as she was saying a lot of harmony vocals. When she would come in with Alan, it immediately lifted the song to another level. Mm. But then, you know, she'd take the lead once in a while and it'd just break your heart how beautiful it sounded. Uh, the one song I want to play, you know, people are saying, what, what, you know, what, what song from Low should I start with or what album? I, I would start with Just Make It Stop from the Invisible Way record. Mm. They actually recorded that with Jeff Tweedy in 2013. And there's a part where the song, where all the instrumentation drops out, and Mimi's voice basically holds the, the, you know, is center stage. And she she didn't necessarily like that. She was a, by nature as kind of a shy person yeah. who played more of a background role. But when she stepped to the front, you know, the resolve in her voice is just so uh, amazing on this song, and I and I just love it to death. Um, it is Mimi Parker with uh, "Just Make It Stop" from Lowe's The Invisible Way album on Sound Opinions. Now from a ten-foot hole See nothing but blue sky Shining on my soul As I untie the cord And untwist the knot We can get where we're going If I could just make it stop If I could just make it stop Just make it stop by Lowe in tribute to Mimi Parker, dead at the age of 55. It's a wonderful, rich catalog that we encourage everybody to dig into. Uh, Greg, what is on the show next week? Jim, we're going to dig up some more buried treasures, uh, songs that have been flying underneath the mainstream radar that you need to hear, and an interview with Alicia Gaines of a really terrific band named Ganser. And don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed wherever you get podcasts. Ganser about to break big, I predict. I think so, uh, So no longer a buried treasure. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our Columbia College intern is Lauren Holt, and our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Sends to